0: Alright, so this week I'm with Andy Green. Some of you may know him as Anders Red, one time blogger now on Twitter. Andy, how are you doing?
1: Very good, thank you. Good week.
0: Yes, good good on the pitch. Good yeah. on the pitch. Good on the pitch. We are recording on Saturday before the EFL Cup final, for the record. So we uh, we can't comment on United 3, Newcastle Mill. <laughs> I do find it funny how if you talk about Newcastle United as Newcastle, they get really offended.
1: They won United. We all know that. I was yeah. thinking about. I was thinking about the ninety-nine cup final. Actually, that was. A, I was there for that day as well. That was a yep. fun day. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it was. It almost, was almost like a sort of. Oh, let's get this middle bit out of the way. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, Fergie played the second string, or at least that's the right. Rest <laughs> of the couple of players. Yeah. At Newcastle's last cup final. That one. Mm. Their last trophy being the Fairs Cup. Remember that one. Yep. In
1: 1969. Yeah, that's too just before my time.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so we were going to talk about the finances a little bit around surrounding the takeover. Obviously, I don't think either of us particularly has an inside track on what Jim is thinking or the Qatari regime. And any links to the Althani family?
1: No. No. He's he's risen without a trace, and and I've never heard of him before, like most people, I think.
0: Well, yes, it is interesting how a middle manager at a bank who now somehow found himself as chairman of a national state bank suddenly has $6 billion in his back pocket. It is impressive, I'd have to say. We've been saving for a long time, putting the pennies away. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, we I thought we would get Andy on to talk about the finances because there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about how this process works and Andy has been in the, the private equity market for some time. You can get a better expert.
1: Very, very kind, I, yes. I do
0: my best as an amateur, just doing corp VC, so the, the junior party to private equity. So let, let's talk about how this works. We're at the process now where we've had the what is being labelled the soft bids come in, and I presume, although I don't know if it's been confirmed by anybody that the parties, whoever's bid now has access to the data room and are starting the due diligence process. Yes, that
1: would that would seem to be the logical stage we're at, as much as we know. I mean, it would be it would be weird if they didn't it essentially it would all be over if they weren't given access to the data room.
0: Yeah. So, so talk us through the process. So soft bids come in access to the data room and at some time over the next few weeks, the firm bids will be put in for assessment by the rain group and the Glazer family.
1: Yes. And they'll have to prove, they'll have to show the bidders will have to show proof of financing as well, because you and I could bid, Ed, but we obviously don't have the money. So there has to be credibility behind, behind any offers made. And no doubt there'll be, we know the deadline of last Friday and no doubt there'll be future deadlines where they have to provide certain information. So, and, and we don't know what that timetable is. No one's, no one's said.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So it'd be interesting asking the health only family, whether they have proof of funds, <laughs> what are they going to do? Whip out their app and show <laughs> the Barty's right, yeah. current yeah, account. Indeed. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's obviously therefore far more far more relevant for INEOS, although it's it's a 60 billion turnover business. The devil's in the detail here, isn't it? And as much as one can get from the briefings to the journalists, it sounds like this is an INEOS bid. Obviously, INEOS is mm-hmm. entirely owned by, by Jim and they, they've got the balance sheet to, to write a check of, of four or five billion pounds, without a doubt. It's a very odd thing for a business to do but when you're owned by one person you, you can do that so yeah,
0: yeah. well him and the founders yeah it's, it's a very complex yeah. web of companies oh. in ineos there's the the group company and then the subsidiaries in different parts of this petrochemical business and different countries
1: and so on. So Yeah, and, and different subsidiaries have different ownership structures amongst themselves. I mean, the UK is very good. You can you can trace ownership in the UK reasonably easily. But as soon as you go to, to most countries, you, you can't see the share register, you don't know who owns what. But yes, I mean I think I think it's it's credible to say that INEOS could afford to do it. They're obviously being advised by 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 Goldman's and who's the other advisor? Anyway, by, JP Morgan. By, JP Morgan, that's right. And, and obviously J.P. Morgan and Goldman's job partly will be to, to line up any external financing that they need, which obviously raises one of the major questions about the Ineos mm-hmm. bid, which is, does it come with debt or does it come with debt more importantly that is on the club? Is it, is yes. it just re- replacing the current position with, with another unwelcome bunch of debt? The, the debt at the end of September was the last figure, 600, $650 million. Yep. And where's that? What, what's going to happen to that number if Ineos takes over?
0: Yeah, and, and that's unclear, of course. I mean, I have to say I didn't panic about that, assuming mm. that so the debt is taken on by Ineos. It's mm. a fraction of a point on the leverage that they've already got. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Mm. Of course, it would be very much against anything that Ratcliffe has said previously mm. to mm. leverage and dump it on the club. So yeah. it seems very, very
1: unlikely, but... Not impossible. Yeah, it does. And, and I think it connects with, I think we spoke in the summer, didn't we, on, the, on this pod about, about how you pay for the redevelopment of the stadium. Mm-hmm. And one of the big problems the Glazer family have is they don't have, either they don't have or they don't want to put in the money and you can't really borrow a much more, much more against Manchester United because of that $650 yes, million dollars they've right. already got. And anyone coming in to buy the club knows that full well and so they're going to have to not only buy the, buy the glazers out but they're also going to have to come up with another make up the number 500 600 a yes. billion pounds over the next few years right to, to pay for to pay for that so you would therefore think it was very unlikely that you would just replicate the situation we have now of having yes. 600 million pounds 500 million pounds of debt on the club's balance sheet if you then have to go and, and do that stadium development thereafter
0: well, that's right. And and the stadium, I mean, it really is a key part of this mm. process, isn't it? Yeah. Because a redevelopment, yeah, it might put a number on it, but it could be anywhere from a hundred to hundreds of millions, depending yeah. on the scale. And then a brand new stadium is yeah. obviously going to be a billion plus, given yeah. the size that would be required. But a redevelopment wouldn't necessarily bring in any extra revenue. It's very hard to see a path towards lots of extra
1: revenue there. I, 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 think, I, think, they would, I think they would hope it would... Bring in some extra revenue because, well, first of all, more seats. The, the simple yeah. capacity, exactly right, yeah. and secondly, can they charge more for a higher quality corporate yeah, hospitality mm-hmm. product, and can they have more boxes as well? I mean, it's uh, well, true. I mean, the North. I remember whether it was a PLC, it covers a PLC, and they always said, "Look, they come down to London to meet fund managers like me," and the management would always say, "Look, oh. guys." The northwest of England is not London. You can't expect the Emirates didn't exist then, obviously, but you can't expect us to sell the level of hospitality that you would guess if we were if we had the same stadium in, in in somewhere in North London. And that's true, but it's still a, a prosperous area, and I think they would expect to, to, to add some value from from more more corporate seats and more boxes and. Better boxes, more lavish, and so on and so Maybe, the, mm-hmm. maybe the Qataris could fly over and have a box under under ownership. You never know.
0: <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it, forward to a, a American-style stadium.
1: But it won't pay. It won't pay. It won't pay for that way It will pay back over many years. It's yes. not a immediate return. So. Well,
0: well, that's the other question. You see, if if I was dispassionate about this, which obviously I'm not, and and Old Trafford means a lot to all of us who've been to many hundred a game there, you would say that the better financial return would be to do what Spurs did, knock down the old stadium, take out a bond over a very, very long period of time and pay it back. And And uh, it, it's paying off for Spurs in terms of the extra revenue, clearly. Uh, and that would be probably the best investment rather than redeveloping Old Trafford. And you could also... Move it slightly away from where it is on land that United already own, be a much easier development, and so on and so on and so on. But
1: that's uh, true. But 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 that goes back to the point about the current debt. So the current debt is secured on all the assets of the club, yes. or the player contracts. At of, the assets are the brand, which is obviously exceptionally valuable. The yep. player contracts, yeah, which are quite valuable, and the physical assets, of which the primary one is obviously the stadium. So mm-hmm. you can't just go and borrow another billion quid and say to your current bankers. Don't worry, guys. There's plenty to go around. That security is like running right. a second. It would be a second mortgage you know. on on People the same know. asset. Yeah. On the same asset. So yeah. So it goes back to that. What's the what you call the capital structure? What's the balance sheet look like after after the club's been sold? If the club is sold, yeah. So you really you need equity. You need new capital going in yes. from, the, from the shareholders, and
0: yeah. yeah, and and that's a very difficult situation to to. To think about when you think about a third party, say let's just say Elliot putting in some equity, even in the form of debt or or liquidity, sorry, in the form of debt or buying some of the Glazers' shareholdings out, because that would still mean the Glazers had to fund effectively, yeah, the the new stadium development, and that's not going to happen
1: when you've milked the cow for nearly twenty years. I, can I put some rough numbers on yeah. it? Yeah you could You could take the view that let, let's say that there, there are two offers out there at the moment for about four and a half billion dollars, and so so and that number will include the current debt. So let's call it very rough terms, about four billion dollars of equity value the Qataris and, and INEOS have, have put on the club. with that evidence from a process run by Rain. The Glazers could go to someone like Elliot or someone else and say, look guys, there's $4 billion of value here. We need, I'll make it up a billion to buy out, partially buy out some of the siblings. So they off Mm -hmm. they go, not entirely, but you know, they, they get get a billion dollars in their pockets, which they'll be happy with. And we need another billion Mm -hmm. dollars for the stadium development. And that could all happen sort of. At the Glazer family level, essentially, we'd never see it. We'd never, the first thing the rest of the world would see would be a New York stock exchange announcement saying the other siblings have all sold this number of shares to Joel and, yeah. and, and Abby. And it's we'll a we're
0: not in on that pillow talk, hey?
1: Well, we'll never, we'll never see how it's financed. We'll never know anything. And the next thing you'll hear is, oh, and, and they're putting in money to, to develop the stadium. So it could all happen behind the scenes, using the almost like the evidence that, yeah. that, that there's four billion dollars of value there. I hope not.
0: Yeah, let's there's, so that's that's one path. There's the the Glazer financing in some kind yes. of way uh, w- without trying to provoke a riot or anything like that. I, I can imagine that not going down very well with a large proportion of the Manchester United supporter base.
1: It's got to be the worst outcome, hasn't it? It's absolutely oh, the worst. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean. To be fair, since the ESL debacle, the club, and I think you have to say that Joel Glazer is, is behind this, mm-hmm. has engaged significantly more with did, supporters, yeah. supporters groups. I mean, particularly with must, which I'm involved in, but also with the TRA and uh, that's good. And, and there'd be wins from that. Things like re- relocating the execs in and, yes. you know, a variety of match day stuff, which in. Uh, in Sterling, who's at Must is the independent sports uh, sports the, the liaison officer. All the stuff he does with the club, yeah. So that's so that's good. And the club hierarchy have been good, but undeniably, the Glazer family are not wanted by the supported base as long term owners. And and they and they aren't going to retire that that debt that's already there. Whatever they do behind yeah. the scenes in, in in the US, they
0: can't afford to. I don't think they can't
1: afford to. No, and and they don't want to. And and therefore the sort of if if none of this was happening, we'd probably be talking about strength, what we need to do to strengthen the squad. Why we had to get Veghorst in in the summer. Mm-hmm. Sorry, excuse me, in the winter in the, in the window just just closed. And the fact that essentially the club doesn't have any cash. It's not going bust, but it's just really, really up against it. The the overdraft, what's called the RCF, is yeah. is drawn partially, and there's massive transfer debt that's been built up to other clubs. The club 200
0: million, I think indeed, that's right. Counts, yeah. yeah,
1: that's right. And, and so the club is strapped, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The Manchester United is mm-hmm. strapped for cash, and it's, and it's a lot of it's down to, down to that debt. So I think the supporters would be extremely upset.
0: That, that's a good segue into talking about the, the current state of United's finances. So you touched on it a little bit there yeah. a huge amount of money owed in transfers. That's obviously not due straight away, that's going to be over a number of years. It's how most European clubs operate. It's a very large sum. Presumably, they'll be able to get some of that back by flogging Harry Maguire in the summer. Not a lot, but a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the flip side of the transfer debt, if you like, is the very poor record the club has got of making money from selling players. Horrendous. Yeah. I mean, I mean, City in their late last accounts, and actually, really weirdly, in the, in the previous year, I think it was sixty three million profit right. they made yeah. on on selling players. And I think United was twenty something. Yeah, and the be- year before that was eight. So we're we're talking a f- truly horrendous right really, yeah. really, really, really poor. Given the number of poor signings we've made, and therefore the number of people who've had to be churned in the post few years, yeah. you, you think you think we well, it's not you buying badly. It's then it's then selling selling, selling badly on
0: top of compounds yeah. the error. Yeah, yeah. And and then in fact, City you mentioned and Chelsea have made more than five hundred million in the last yeah. ten years. I think it is from sales of squad yeah. players. It's like a another income stream to add to broadcast yeah, match yeah, day and, right. and commercial.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and from UEFA financial regulations, it, any profit you make is pure holy profit. Yeah, pure profit you can then use on other things. If you sort of mean so so you right. by not having, as you say, not having that income stream, also have to look at the new financial regulations. Yeah, you know, the making sure that your football expenditure is. Well eventually it has to be seventy percent. Yeah. Seventy
0: percent, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I think I'm right in saying, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way the, the profit and sustainability as they're now called regulations yeah. work is that you amortize your player purchases over the length of the contract, so let's say five years or twenty-seven <laughs> in the case of Chelsea, <laughs> and then any sales that go immediately onto the books, in, in which they yeah. like, so yeah. playing a game where they will have to sell every yeah. year in order to balance the books, but yeah. it gives them a bit of space and freedom to play that game.
1: Yeah, it does. Indeed. And they have a very good
0: record of doing it. Yeah. yeah. And, and then like United's other commercial income, um, that, what room for growth is there? Because I, I look at it and TV is, is flat, although mm-hmm. I, in the current economic environment, that was a win, renewing the, yep. the Premier League contract. The international rights may or may not go up or see on broadcast, that is. And then commercials, United's performance has been flat, trending, not very good for many, many years. Yes, I mean,
1: United was obviously, under Edward Wood, many bad things about him, but, but he was in charge of the organization where they had this incredible innovation, which no one had done before, mm-hmm. which was basically... Segment the brand, chop it and slice it and dice it, and uh, I mean the old PLC had had the absolutely contrary idea. I remember the, them, David Gill said to me years and years ago, "Oh, you can't tarnish the brand, you can't spread it out too thinly. You have to have f- five or six key sponsors." Mm-hmm. And and what United did was completely turn that on its head and have, as we all know, the famous pot noodle noodle sponsor in you know, yeah city. yeah uh, once, and that was an innovation. But everyone's caught up with that now. And actually, the commercial growth has slowed right down over the last few years. The rate of growth, rather, slowed slowed right down. There's not match days out of your hands. You've got the stadium mm-hmm. as it is, which you've talked about already. Uh, this year is going to be a really good year. We've had so many home draws. We've gone a long way. In, like, we're going a decent way in the Cups. So that's going to be better, but that's 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 fluctuates year, year by year, depending on, of course, yeah. on the vagaries of, of, of draws and so on. And TV, as you said, again, is out of our hands. Getting in the Champions League would make a big difference, clearly, yeah. and looks looks good at the moment. But, yeah, fundamentally, there isn't a great deal of organic growth. It's one of the things that people like me who look at company valuations professionally think, why on earth would you pay even even four billion pounds for something yeah. for a company like this that isn't really growing very fast and is going to make and, and the
0: stock market has yeah. agreed with you it, basically it has
1: indeed that's right yeah yeah the stock market the stock market was valuated at sort of the same price that chelsea was sold for for for, for the last two years yeah essentially. and yeah
0: Yes. Well, without getting ahead of myself, I do wonder what will happen to that price of the, mm. the Glazers so, do not fulfil the sales process. It would surely sink back down to where it was.
1: Yeah. If you're if you're a risk, if you're a merger arbitrage hedge fund, which is the people who uh-huh. who bet on takeovers happening or not happening, you're it's it's a it's a game for people with real nerves of steel. But yeah, I mean that's that's the worst outcome. Got a position this, here, Andy? No. Yeah. Uh, no, certainly not. Certainly not.
0: And then, okay, so, I mean, there, there's less to talk about on the Qatari front because, mm. obviously, it's a state-backed bid, even mm. if we're supposed to be, believe it's not in an, a monarchy.
1: Yeah. It, 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 it all yeah. roads
0: lead to the same place. Yeah. So.
1: We know that the the natural resources of Qatar are controlled by the royal family. We know yeah. that you only get to tap into those if you're connected to the royal family. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not objecting to the way they run their country. That's how they run their country. Who am I sitting in London to to, to tell them to do differently? But, yeah. So the money all comes from the same source eventually. I've no doubt they've got clever lawyers who can, who can do
0: it. Can, can try and prove otherwise. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Ratcliffe and Ineos would have to, to do the, the same jiggery-pokery and, and pretend that the subsidiary that this went into, which presumably same, the same subsidiary that has other sporting assets, or in fact, it'd have to be a different one for UEFA, it maybe would, under the yeah. same group, would have had a different managing structure, which actually they do. So yeah, it would yeah. be a fairly easy process, I think. Oh. The, one of the things I'm curious about is it, when we saw the Chelsea bid, there were about 20 offers. Mm. Now, some of them were tire kickers mm. and some of them were real. Uh, but we haven't seen that, we're led to believe, with United. And and so is it just the case that it's, it's a more expensive prize and so few people are interested or the PE market? cooling especially in the US with interest rates going up what what do you think is
1: behind the sort of lack of interest yeah no, I think I think you're absolutely right I think it's a, a variety of factors I, I think that Chelsea given its location in in South West London although obviously you have to solve the almost insolvable problem of the Chelsea picture association yeah, Limited, I believe in this but yeah, you, have to, yeah. you have to you have to that relocational redevelopment of Stanford Bridge thing you can see that there is there's a gold neck in there somewhere, isn't there? There's a there's yeah, something, yeah. you know. You've, you've, well, I'm you've sure got... their
0: neighbours on the King's Road won't mind them bulldozing a few houses. <laughs> It'll be fine.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the sites are running out, aren't they? Bassie Power Station's gone. Earl's yep. Court's gone. Hard to know. Move it out to Oak Common or somewhere like that where the HST... Clapham Common, yeah. Uh, oh, Clapham Common, yeah. But yeah, but there's, there's that potential there, isn't there, which I think attracts yeah. people. Almost in a way that... It's a slightly different point, but PSG, you know, Paris... Just a draw yep. of Paris as a, as a location, but anyway. So why? So why view better than United? Yes, p- p- partly, partly the market. The market interest rates have risen; money is not free anymore, which it, which it has been for many years. Partly, uh, just the scale of capital you need. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge amount. Partly that United is already run on a, commercial, a very commercial basis. I mean. A, a, Abramovich didn't run Chelsea on a commercial basis. He ran it. I thought, mm-hmm. But United's had professional managers in there trying to make a profit since their IPO in the nineties. Right. So, and it's and, very, and difficult, it, and it's very very difficult. So yeah, that EBITDA that they're, they're guiding EBITDA being a measure of profit. Sorry for yeah. technical terms that, that they're guiding to this year. I think it's 125 to 140 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the Cubs never made more than 150 million in any year. Mm-hmm. So, so, You've got an asset that's been run professionally for decades. I think everyone would agree it's probably from a financial side run quite well, putting aside the debt, the operational financial side. So it hasn't ever made more than 150 million quid a year. Well, there's a limit, isn't there? There's a limit to yeah. what any rational person would pay for that.
0: And that and competition between so many different parties in the football market means that it's yeah. very hard, as we've seen for an owner to say cash out. So then you're looking at what, yeah. a capital appreciation, and there needs to be some path to growth. and, and I presume, yeah. I don't know what you've heard, but we're hearing more noises about the regulator. Are people nervous about what the regulator might mean for potential growth of fo- a football club like this?
1: I, I don't think so. My, my understanding is that United have been reasonably positive about the regulator. I, obviously, what the ESL was trying to do, really... Was calm down spending and stop people mm-hmm. overstretching, yeah. overstretching themselves. I mean, they had all sorts of terrible things about it as well. But that was that was the motivation, particularly behind yes. the, very behind clearly, it. Yeah. yeah, the Glazers and and Fenway Liverpool being so in favour of it, and Spanish clubs hated the fact that the yeah they were losing, losing competitiveness to English clubs. So in some ways, regulation is good for people who want to make money out of it because if you regulate to the point where you you end up as sort of NFL light or something. Everyone makes money, so I, so it's hard to know what that's where that fits in, into all this. Now, if you're a vanity buyer or you've got vanity as part of your reasons for bidding, then I don't know. It's a it's a slightly different equation, isn't it? Because you to get to get the glory, you want to pump money in. I mean, that's what that's PSU Ryan. being the being the obvious example. So.
0: The, the devil really will be in the detail when it comes to the regulator because there's a framework we've seen, the white paper, yeah. and Tracy, Tracy Crouch has been mm. out there sort of spinning in favor of it, but it's it's really hard to know which parts are the kind of structural pieces, mm. so which markets you can play in, yep. ESL, not ESL, yep. and that's, that's quite a hard one with UK company law, I'd say.
1: Yeah, but Parliament can legislate anything at once,
0: can't it? So, well, so that's right. You, parliament yeah. is supreme, and yeah. and it can. And then, what it, what is like kind of light touch stuff? So, yeah. hey, you can't change the name of the club or the colours or the logo or kind of football community. You can't. You can't. Do, you can't.
1: You can't do what they did to Wimbledon. I mean, that's right. I, mean, I, know, I know it's a long time ago, but that was a. A gross fail, failure of yes. football's regulatory structures, wasn't it? And, and it could theoretically, until this happens, it could happen again. It would, could know, happen again, yeah.
0: Well, we don't get what happens in US sports, which is clubs moving cities. Right. Yeah. Ostensibly, to take advantage of the only part of the US economy that absolutely loves socialism, which is cities paying for stadiums <laughs> for billionaire owners. It's it's an um, amazing process.
1: Like the Glazers, in fact. I mean, they didn't move, but but Tampa, Tampa had their stadium screwed crazy. out of stadium, yeah. Tough well, I, I
0: as listeners will know, I now live in Seattle. And many years after the Supersonics basketball team left, people still hate Howard Schultz, the <laughs> the Starbucks founder, because he was the owner and he let it move. I hate him with a passion. And so, yeah, anyway, there's that. And then there's the the kind of third bit, which is the kind of revenue piece. Mm-hmm. And, and Gary Neville and a few EFL club owners have been out there banging the drum for 25% of mm-hmm. the... Of the TV deal, which, of course, the Premier League will never say yes to, even though they said yes to it in 1992, which is hilarious. And and then I I find myself conflicted about that because, of course, you know, I'm a United fan. I want United to be successful. But money flowing down the leagues is healthy for the game overall. And the cliff edge of the Premier League causes just a horrendous impact on the championship where everyone's chasing the dream and no one can afford it. And the wages to turnover ratio is more than 100% at every yeah. club.
1: And, 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 the way, and the main way of passing money down the pyramid at the moment, which is parachute payments, is yeah. is in itself. Well, for, as an outsider, as some, somebody who probably isn't support, a supporter of a club that's going to get relegated again in my lifetime. It's happened once in my lifetime. But yeah, that, that, that seems a very perverse way, doesn't it? To, to basically dump three rich guys into this vipers nest of 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 of, of stretch finances yep. you know and then obviously those parachute payments go on for more than one year so you've actually you actually yep. end up with quite a few alligators in the ponds who've got money right and desperately trying to yeah and you've got people aspiring to come up as you say and and, and overstretching themselves there's got to be a better way of doing it i i think i think my personal view has always been that you need a bigger distribution, and the Premier League, the Premier League could easily give more. It, it, it could. I mean, obviously, if it, if it was giving seventy seventy five percent sure. of its revenues, then that would that would that would change its relative competitiveness with Spain and France and and, and Italy and Germany. But but no one's suggesting that. So
0: no, and we'll see where the negotiations go on that Because at the moment, as I understand it, there are no negotiations.
1: No, not 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 not. So you'll remember the Premier League came up with some proposals. Uh, uh, a year ago, two years ago, yes, um, yeah, that's um, right. Which were which was sort of Premier League land grab at the same time. Yes, cash in one hand, control
0: and power in the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, we'll, we'll say, I don't know whether this is having a calling effect, but then then the other the other thing is the the the, the lack of interest from other potential parties. I think I was having a chat with a, a friend this morning actually about why there's been no interest from, say, China, mm. whereas there are more than enough billionaires who've got more than enough billions sitting in their back pockets that need something to to do to to bid. But of course, the government has pulled back from interest in sports and particularly football, and and that is, it's almost like a perfect storm of mm. world economic stuff, geopolitics, and and Chinese. Geopolitics at the moment, like creating a lack of interest. Yeah, in but if you look United.
1: at if you look at where where free spending billionaires are, you, you mentioned China, where you you could not, you would not be allowed to do this without the approval of the Chinese Communist Party, yeah. and they obviously, well, who knows what they're going to say, but the fact there aren't any Chinese bidders probably suggests, that, and there aren't Chinese bidders for other sports assets, as you say, at the moment, which is yes. probably the words come down, G that you you can't do that. You've got the other the X. Uh Soviet Union states, whether it's Russia or Kazakhstan, or Uzbekistan, and so on they they are politically beyond the pale. I, I think you uh, the if, game
0: right now, yeah,
1: if, if an abramovich type character turned up or or whatever, that wouldn't fly, would it so you've got the middle east, the Saudis have made their made their play. There's always talk about the Saudi, Saudi bids, but I think that's, that seems, that seems unlikely. The missing, the, the missing piece for me are the American private equity guys who, uh-huh. who, who did have obviously bought, bought Chelsea and had, and there were other similar people to, 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 for his his yes. who were interested in Chelsea. Why haven't they come in? Which I think goes back to what I was saying mm-hmm. about, they see an opportunity, a development opportunity at Chelsea, whether it's physical development or just like this should be, London can support. Two or three massive clubs, and Chelsea is a is a sort of well, it's not that hidden jewel. It's won the one Champions League in the <laughs> league. And, goodness knows <laughs> what, but but there's there's potential there in the way. that yeah. there probably there probably isn't the United. States.
0: and and then the other part of the US market would be the tech bros, and of course the tech bros have all seen their yeah, they have their kind of assets fall in value, yeah. and so whether you're I don't know a, a thirty billion dollar tech bro, you know a middle ranked yeah. tech bro, uh, and you're down to ten. Well, it starts to get a bit squeaky bum time when you've only got
1: 10 it million does. in assets buying a, it does. Buying and, a football and club. going yeah. back to what you said before about how you make money owning a football club, the, the Glazers have got the profitability of United up to this 120 to 140 million EBITDA a year. I think the PLC, the best year they've had was 75 million. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and... The, They've owned the club for 18 years. In other words, it's quite hard to drive to profitability even when you're, when you're giving it your very best shot and you're aiming for profitability as your outcome. Obviously, a lot, a lot of clubs don't try to make money there if they're, if they're mm-hmm. backed by a benefactor. So how are you going to make money by buying Manchester United for £4 billion or £5 billion? How, how can you double your money? Can you can you double the yeah. profitability and sell it at the same valuation? That's again, right. Or, yeah.
0: Well, you'll you'll have a better clue than me on what private equity needs as a return. In in VC land, where I am, you want your fund to perform at about three x mm. the total fund in order to take your take your fees mm. and your cut the carry and return something to the the return something to your LPs to make up for the opportunity cost of investing your fund, not
1: elsewhere. LPs being limited partners, Limited partners, sorry, jargon. For for those who don't
0: know. The the investors, the investors. The investors, right? So 3X in VC land, which is super risky. Manchester United, less risky, probably don't want the 3X return. But still, it it is a hard path, isn't it? And that's probably why we've got... We don't have an auction right at the moment, despite the uh, the Glazer family doing their very best to get the Qataris to bid against themselves. I think by uh, by putting a lot of stuff in the papers at the moment. Yeah. So, so I mean, without speculating, we've got what another few weeks of due diligence, mm. hard bids, and then a decision will need to be made.
1: Yes, and 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 I think there's a whole element of that decision-making process that we have no idea about which is the dynamic between the different members of the Glaser family. And, and, yeah. and I suppose just like any group of people who collectively own an asset, some people are keener to hang on, some people are mm-hmm. keen to sell, some people, they'll have different expectations of not just the price they can get, what the price they should get now is, but what the price they might be able to get in three or four years' time. You could, mm-hmm. but you could paint it this way, couldn't you? Oh my goodness, we got Eric Ten Hag, he looks like the real deal. The team is actually probably now one of the best in Europe, having and that's not a statement you could have made at any time in the in the last right. five years. Why on earth are we selling now when we could be doing it with a Champions League trophy in the in the cabinet in, in eighteen months time or a league title? This is completely wrong. Yeah, you know, this is the wrong totally the wrong moment to so, sell. So yeah. You could spin it like that. Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. so yeah well we'll see how this plays out if we get down to brass tacks and there's more stuff maybe we'll have you on a, a, a quick a quick occasion again
1: we think we should should mention just to finish off is is how bidders relate to fans and here i'm reasonably optimistic yeah and I, here i'm talking about about the qataris or, or Ineos, but not yeah. not the not the elliot glazer internal stuff but if there's a new bidder i mean they've obviously paid lip service in their in their press releases too mm-hmm. fan-centric and fans at the heart of it and all the rest of it. And obviously from where my must-have that's, that's critical because we're here to represent the supporters. But I do think that either of those bidders, neither of them wants a situation where Rashford bangs in the goal at Old Trafford. And after the cheering, the next thing you hear is we want X out. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if you're buying it for a big amount of money, Partially for glory, whether it's your hometown club if you're reactive, or, or you just want the glory of only Manchester United, if you're yes, if you if you're if you're not from Manchester, then you're you want glory, don't you? You want you want people uh-huh. to like you, respect you, happy, yeah, yeah. be happy to have you there. And I think initially, that obviously, if that debt is wiped or the debt is put onto Ineos, then it, there will be goodwill. Of course, there will, and it will be somebody who's not the Glazers, but. They have got to follow through on engaging with the supporters yeah. and putting and I fully putting agree. Yeah, out. yeah, and I think they. I think they will. I think it's a good chance they will. They will.
0: I mean, I think from Ratcliffe's point of view, it's obvious. It's obviously an emotional investment. I mean, he's a ca- cold-hearted business person. I think everyone yeah. says that about him, and 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 he's a value investor, which means he won't be suddenly doubling the bids if yeah. he doesn't think that makes sense. But. He's after Manchester United for a particular reason, he's 70 years old. There's a legacy to be left here. And and the Qataris, yes. Well, look at what they've done with Paris. You can you can talk about the kind of on the field stuff and and financial shenanigans and, and skewing the transfer mm-hmm. market, but actually what they've done with Paris and centered it around Paris mm-hmm. are kind of and it apes to some extent what UAE had done with Manchester City and yeah. And, and, yeah. and Abu Dhabi with City. Oh, oh, oh. no, strictly speaking. Not Abu Dhabi, of course. The investment vehicle, I should say, before the lawyer's call, is is centered around Manchester, like a lot of other quote-unquote heavy air quotes here, folks, investments around Manchester. And and they've done, you would say, a very fan-centric model. Mm -hmm. And, And probably that would be the case too. Now, there's a different price to pay with each of these bids. I would, from a personal point of view, suggest a very heavy price to pay if it's Qatar, a different ethical price to pay if it's if Ratcliffe, obviously with a petrochemical business, mm. in how much you care about the climate.
1: No, they're, they're, but I think, I think we have to be realistic. There aren't wonderful, benevolent, charitable owners willing to write a cheque of this size. Sadly, sadly no. If I, I'm, I'm that person, but I don't have the money. You're that person, Ed, but you don't have the money either. Even if we put our resources together, we don't have the money. Even if everyone who listens to this pod put their money together, we don't. That doesn't mean actually we can't aspire to have some. Folks,
0: I'll give you my PayPal address. You send in the cash,
1: and I promise I'll spend I, it the right way. I would like right to think that actually any owner would possibly look at continuing something like the fan share scheme that that we you know you have been talking to Must about because yeah. there is it may be that Ineos would even keep keep the shares listed. They've talked about only buying out the glades of stake and not buying hundred yeah. percent. And well
0: of course at yeah. any point you can you can buy the listed shares, they've just never come with any power with or say. With say or, power, no. No.
1: Yeah. So some proper shares and proper voting
0: power. Yeah. I, I think I'm right in saying before we go that in the Articles Association those B shares will convert to A shares.
1: When the sale happens, right? So that's he, correct, each share
0: yeah. gets the same amount of voting rights. Yes, right?
1: that's right. So he would be he would be buying sixty seven percent of the club, which is enough, essentially, to enough to, for control. To, to yeah. Control, yeah.
0: All right, very good. If you want the counterpart to this, i am i will do a series of takeover-related ones. I also have spoken to Nicholas McGeehan from Fair Square about the ethics of potential Qatari and/or the bids, and yeah, you can listen to that one. Thank you very much, Andy, for joining. Absolute Hope pleasure. Clarified some things. Come on, you Reds for Sunday's final. This might go out after Sunday, so congratulations, you Reds, for winning. <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll speak to you all soon.
1: Thanks, Ed. Cheers.